Welcome to Life of the Ballpark. On this episode, you'll hear the story of a former CNN correspondent who almost lost his life covering the Gulf War and who, at the age of 45, reinvented himself to live out his dream in baseball. You could say he's a grinder. If you are a single mother and you're working two jobs to pay bills, you're a grinder. If you are not the CEO of your corporation and you are easily led to working a 60-hour week instead of a 40-hour week, you're a grinder. If you're a small business owner, this is not just baseball. This is a lifestyle that you choose. Welcome to Life of the Ballpark, sharing stories from players, managers and coaches, writers and broadcasters about their lives around baseball. From the Sandlots to the big league ballparks, I'm John Frost and my guest today is Mike Caps. Mike is a former CNN correspondent who's been nominated for an Emmy and who has announced more than 3,000 games for the Round Rock Express, the AAA Farm Club of the Texas Rangers. Thanks, Capper, for sharing about your life at the ballpark. <laughs> well, this is we've done this two or three times, and it's always fun, John, and I, I really like your approach. It's obvious you, you're deeply embedded in the radio business, and your question's are just impeccable, and I really love being with you. Well, we've had some great conversations yes, over have. the years. No in fact, some of the podcasts I've had with you have been my favorite ones because you've led that. such an interesting life. Well, I've been blessed in so many ways that I'm even still on the earth, but uh, it's one of those lucky situations that you fall into if you have your heart and soul right with God and and you just pursue what your passion was originally when you very first started out. Things tend to work out for you, I think. For those who may not know your story, give a little bit of background before we start talking about your new book. Well, I was raised in a really tiny East Texas town, and my dad uh, ran an Angus ranch, a 400-acre Angus ranch, and he ran an undertaking parlor that was integrated way before integration was ever talked about. So I got raised right in those ways. And it turned out he developed friendships with reporters from Houston and Dallas, specifically the CBS affiliate in Dallas. He'd been in charge of the cleanup of a jet crash in Buffalo, Texas, 20 miles to the south of where I was raised. And those guys became friends with my dad. They came down and deer hunted with my dad. The weekend John F. Kennedy was assassinated, I was invited into that newsroom. I was a seventh grader, and I don't know that a young high school athlete died at that point. I hadn't even made it to high school, but it certainly painted a picture of what was out there and I told my dad when we came out he said you may do that one day and I said kids from a town of 1500 don't have jobs like that I'm going to be a baseball player so that was the original intent and uh, I had already been in Bill Mercer's broadcast booth in minor league baseball before the Texas Rangers ever came there so we're talking about 1963 is when I all happened and those guys all but Mercer are gone now, but all played an integral role in every step of the way in in my athletic career uh, in college and in my broadcast career, both at CNN and now in baseball. And Mercer's still there. He's still a father confessor. He basically took the place of my dad when my dad died. So it's that's a great foundation. Then I had a grandfather who was a Pirates prospect. We talked about this before, before World War One, And uh, 
found himself switched from the Signal Corps during the Battle of the Argonne Forest to artillery, uh, ordering artillery rounds, and he lost hearing in an ear. He got back to, to um, the ballpark in Pittsburgh. They're, try- they're working him out. They want to sign him, but he keeps stumbling, and they can't figure out why. And they said, did something happen to you in World War One?" And he said, yeah. I lost hearing in an ear, and that ended the baseball career. But he handed me baseball, and my dad, on top of that, jumped right in. They were not Little League parents, trust me when I tell you this. But they had the ideas, and and they helped grow me as a baseball player and, and an athlete. And you had a tryout. I did with the legendary Red Murph. I wrote a book with him later. Um, I was invited to that tryout camp, and I ran very fast for 60 yards twice and uh, to first base twice, and they just sat me. And they're auditioning the eight top pitchers in that draft that year, the year I came out of high school, 1969, and I wanted to hit, and I wasn't allowed to hit. And I got mad at the scout and gave him a friendly gesture as I left. 20 years later, Nolan Ryan, his his protege, signs with the Rangers, and I'm at the the uh, ABC affiliate in Dallas Fort Worth before I went to CNN. And I'm doing a documentary, and I called up Red Murph, the scout, and he said, uh, "Well, I'm going to be in Arlington tomorrow. This will work out great." He said, "Son, I know you," and I said, "Well, we'll see." I, I and I knew he knew me. He knew he knew me, and when he saw me the next day, John, he looked at me and he. Pokes me in the chest. He's at six four, and I'm five nine. He's poking me in the chest. He's you're the dumbest sob I've ever met in my life. And I'm going like, excuse me. Well, how do you do? Yeah, and and, and this is uh, twenty years later. This is twenty years later. By now, you know, I've been involved with the SMU football investigation, the death penalty, and all that business. So, so there's some skins on the wall, and I'm, I'm, I'm outraged because I was outraged in those days. You know, if an <laughs> ant walked in front of me. But anyway, long story short, uh, he he allowed us how that they sat me away from the stands at this old ballpark in Brenham, Texas, because, as he said, we had seen you since you were a sophomore in high school. We saw you hit the baseball really hard, and we saw you run. And he said, those running numbers told me, and the fact that I hadn't seen any other scouts told me that we could sign you as a non-drafted free agent and send you out. That never happened. They were hiding you. They were hiding me. And he said, but there's another reason you're the dumbest SOB. I said, there has to be two. <laughs> he said, yeah, there were 12 Division One college coaches asked where you'd gone, and I couldn't really tell them. He goes into his pocket, hands me a scout's card, and he said, would you like to do some part-time? I said, I can tell you just love this game. And I said, well, there's no question about it. So when I had downtime at Channel 8 in Dallas or at CNN or when I was at ABC, he would send me to look at players, and we ran tri- we ran seven tryout camps together, and I quit CNN specifically to write the book with him, the first book that I had published, and it was called The Scout Searching for the Best in Baseball. That's more or less the Cliff Notes version of this wild and zany little ride we're on. Now, there's a part of the story I want you to dig back into because it's you had an epiphany, and it was after an event when you were on CNN. Share yeah. that just briefly. Well, it is, I woke up in the middle of the night and I'd busted my head wide open with a bedpost and cascading blood and got into therapy. And the, four, the, the guy who was the therapist, you think there's not a God in heaven, you're not talking to me. The guy was my therapist was a four-tour of duty side gunner on a copter in Vietnam and a licensed Presbyterian lay minister. It's as if God was saying, dude, you are so broken we got to figure out this is going to take some time and we got to figure out a way 
to get you back and piece together and went to work and it it took the better part of 10 years to get all the pieces in place in the right way and the plan master plan from upstairs enacted but it did and it completely changed my aura completely changed my life and that's that's the story of that there's probably another book just on that i would think i, I would think so but we'll see so you decided to leave the news business mm-hmm. you were making good money yeah national internationally known reporter yeah correspondent and there was something else that you wanted to do well uh, i wanted to write that baseball book with red murph and we're at we're at spring training this is in 1995 and red's being interviewed by bob Starr, who was funny enough with the angels and i keep hearing this voice bob is doing an impeccable job weaving red in and out of his play-by-play what a pro unbelievable yeah and i kept hearing the voice say you can do this you can do this so in between innings i saw how old were you 45. I sidle up to Bob and I say, I'm 45 years old. Am, am I too old to get in, your, in this business? He goes, he looks at me and he says, you're a puppy. <laughs> Two phone calls later, I got a job in the independent Texas-Louisiana League that no longer exists and with the Tyler Wildcatters. This is grassroots baseball. This is big-time grassroots baseball, but so much fun. And that led the next year to AAA Nashville. And the year after that, I had a chance to do several uh, fill-in games on ESPN Radio itself. And that winter, at the winter meetings in 98, I was hired to come here to Round Rock, and I've been here for 22 seasons. So you always had a burning desire. You always loved baseball. Always. And always, you, and always. you said, that this guy is, does that. Yeah. That's what I want to do. Absolutely. And it never absolutely. left you through all your, all your other stuff that you were doing for CNN and otherwise. It never did. But, John, here we go again with a master plan. I've said to so many young, aspiring baseball broadcasters, learn play-by-play. Because every facet of what you'll do live on television happens in the play-by-play prep and process it's so simple and yet i don't get i don't get the feeling that a lot of that is being taught but maybe i'm wrong and i could be wrong and you know it's been proven many many times i've been wrong about a whole lot of things but i don't believe i am about that because the prep work is essential and the, the ability to just off the cuff start to spew you don't do that the first time you're out doing it it's a it's real repetition and i mean time after time after time and i I just firmly believe that so that leads us to this yes that leads us to you being the voice of the round rock express for three thousand games well let's see as we do this it's probably about three thousand and fifteen but who's counting right yeah yeah um yeah and what a nice day that was it was in late april of this year and uh, the staff here with the round rock express just put together a show it was a sunday afternoon uh families here we've got uh, messages between each inning on the dell diamond scoreboard nolan wrote me a great letter and i'm going to be taken in the next couple of days to be fitted for some custom-made lucchese boots that have the express logo on the front of them and i'm really jacked up about that's that. that's pretty nice yeah it is that's yeah. A, that's a great great yeah. gift well you know what you are uh you're no. a grinder well, I sort of. You're a grinder. <laughs> Tell us what a grinder is in your definition. 
let's start with the sports, and I'm going to take it a step further into real life, okay? At the AAA level, we see so many who are bouncing back and forth between the big leagues and AAA baseball, and it is an utter frustration for most of them who go through it the first two or three times, and then they become accustomed to it, but you can see how those guys are able to bear down on the on the field knowing somebody's watching them from other teams or their own team, knowing if they bust their backsides, they got uh, every day, they got a better chance than not to make it back, to prove to people they were wrong in their assessment about them. I would take it a step further. If you were a single mother and you're working two jobs to pay bills, you're a grinder. If you are not the CEO of your corporation, and you are easily led to working a 60-hour week instead of a 40-hour week, you're a grinder. If you're a small business owner, John, and you're fighting the government with taxes and all sorts of regulations that you're having to just wade through to get your business working correctly, you're a grinder. This is not just baseball. This is a lifestyle that you choose. People tend to sit back and hope things can happen to them. Red Murph used to say, hope in one hand and a cow patty in the other. You tell me which carries more weight. And that's true. We can hope and dream and all this, but it ultimately comes down to how willing you are to grind away at your goal. And I think I appreciate you calling me one, and, and I'm not going to refute it, but <laughs> these guys here are experts, and we're looking at the baseball field at Dell Diamond as we talk. Right. They're experts at it, and you can tell the ones that are, and you can tell the ones that aren't, and the ones that are are just eternal heroes to me. Next up, Mike Caps of the Round Rock Express shares about his new book, Grinders, Baseball's Intrepid Infantry, next on Life of the Ballpark. What does it really take to make it in baseball? Forget the fame and the fortune. It takes grit. It takes perseverance. It takes the ability to grind it out. Mike Caps and Chuck Hartenstein know all about the grind. They've watched it. They've lived it. And now they've chronicled it. Grinders, baseball's intrepid infantry, tells the story of the journeyman, the unheralded, the overlooked. The players whose sheer love of the game keeps them going. They make the game what it is, and they make the stars possible. Grinders is their story. Hear the players themselves tell what life is like in the grind and what they're willing to do for that one shot at the show. Available in early July wherever books are sold. Pre-order Grinders now at stonycreekpublishing.com. And be sure to check out our other books, audiobooks, and podcasts. Stony Creek Publishing. We tell the stories you've been waiting to hear. What's the genesis of the book? How long has this been percolating in your head? Uh, many, many, many years. We go back to my grandfather and I seated at Old Burnett Field in downtown Dallas across the Trinity River from downtown. And we're watching the Minneapolis Millers, the Boston Red Sox AAA affiliate. I'm nine years old. And the Dallas-Fort Worth Rangers, who were the AAA affiliate of the then Kansas City Athletics. And my grandfather stands up and he says, you look at that kid in left field, taking fly balls. He's something. He's going to be something bigger and better. Well, yeah, Hall of Famer, he turned out to be Carl Yastrzemski. He had check marks on his score sheets 
four for Dallas Fort Worth and about six for the Minneapolis Millers. And I said, what are those check marks? He said, these guys are going to be going back and forth between the big leagues and Dallas Fort Worth or Minneapolis. And you're going to see their name in big league box scores from time to time. And then they'll disappear for two or three weeks or a month and they'll be back. He said, those guys are the engine that drives baseball's bus. And I kept mulling that over and I rolled over, I can't tell you how many times, thinking about that. And then in 2018, uh, the late Chuck Hartenstein and I got to talking about it. Chuck pitched in the big leagues for several years, a UT guy, uh, dear friends. My cousin Billy Capps signed him for the Chicago Cubs out of UT. And, and I said, here's my idea for this book. And Chuck and I sat for days just cogitating over people we wanted to include and people we didn't and, and our thoughts about that. And then Chuck unfortunately passed away last October on the, the day of our last game of the season. My goodness. And his wife followed him six months later. My so and you talk about a baseball couple extraordinaire. Chuck and Joyce Hartenstein were the best, and they just were. And that was a terrible loss. But we're going to continue to carry Chuck's name on any other books we do besides Grinders. And so that's the story of that. And, and that gets us positioned for this thing coming out in, in July the, during the All-Star break. One of the things that you wrote about in the introduction, you say Grinders also proves that humans from all walks of life can still dream and achieve more than they ever believed if they whip the disappointment sting and hang on and battle for all they're worth. <laughs> well, that's when I hear you read that, I just can't believe I wrote that. But it, but it is the truth. Yeah. It is the truth, and and I just people tend to get discouraged so easily sometimes. And uh, I'm I'm talking about very very talented people who haven't really broken through that stage of being able to say, "The heck with this! I'm doing this." And once you, you change your whole approach in life to that, somehow the heavens open up in positivity. At least it hasn't in my life. And I know a whole lot of people in and out of baseball that that's happened to when they finally, whatever motivated them to slack off and not really chase a dream is beyond me. But uh, having done that, sort of myself i understand it's the ego of money in the news business mm -hmm. i suppose more than anything else right uh or the ego of seeing yourself on tv which i never did like to look at myself on tv i thought <laughs> you know i really believe those people that said you really have a face for radio i, I, I bought into that i, uh, I believe it. i know that feeling still do still do and and that's a huge part of uh of me being under control in the ego portion of our program but you know it, it, i just sit here and think about this and i look at these pictures that are on the wall from 22 seasons being here of uh, friends some of whom are still with us some who aren't and i'm thinking how lucky am i to be in this position doing this with a family that i have uh, my wife karen loves me immensely and i love her and and our four kids and seven grandkids all but two of them are athletes and, and pursuing dreams, and one of them is in, about to turn into an eighth grader, and he's 6'1", and the ball comes out of his hand easily, so we're going to see Whoa. what happens with him. Whoa. We've got a tennis star, we've got a volleyball star, and we've got uh, a former track star. So they're diverse, and they call me Cappy, and they love me to death, and I love them to death. 
I want to ask you about a few people that you wrote about in the book. Yes, sir. Just give me some some of your thoughts. Uh, one of the things that you wrote, and I, I was taken by the quote from Branch B. Ricky, former Pirates Farm Director, President of the Pacific Coast League, when he said, if Lorenzo Bundy is not in this book, there shouldn't be a book. Lorenzo Bundy is one of the greatest human beings I've ever met in my life. He was a guy that was not drafted out of college and should have been. Went to James Madison University in Virginia. And it ultimately came down to him signing as a non-drafted free agent and was released. And went to a tryout camp for the Pirates. And they couldn't promise him anything. And he said, well, how about who can promise him a job? And he said, how about if I pay my own way to spring training and compete for a job? Well, we can't pay you anything. We can't pay your housing. We can't pay anything. <laughs> so he walked six miles round trip from a flea bag hotel in Florida to the Pirate Spring Training Camp and won a job and stuck. And he's still, he's in his mid-60s now, and he's, he's coached in the big leagues. He's managed some really good AAA teams, including uh, Albuquerque. And he's a dear friend, and he's one of these guys. And I was talking to a, a friend of mine named Bobby Heck, who who is a special assistant to the general manager of the Tampa Bay Rays today. We had lunch today, and and I was telling him about some of these stories. And he said, "Look, our whole game is made up of those kind of people and their treasures." And he said, "That's why baseball is such a wonderful family. Uh, they're there That's for true. each other, no doubt." You call me and I'm there for you. And it's really, really that way. One of the quotes in your chapter about Bundy was from Willie Stargell. He said, hey, kid, I'm Willie Stargell. And Bundy says, I know. And he says, I just wanted to tell you, Stargell continued, that that's a great swing you have. And I want you to keep it up. And he did. And he was willing to jump back from AAA, never made it to the big leagues as a player, was willing to jump back to AA as a player coach. That got him started. Uh, This was with the Expos that no longer exist. Well, they do. They're the Washington Nationals now. And Lorenzo had two speedsters on this team that that they had sent him back to work with. And both these guys became Major League All-Stars. Both learned to use their speed learned to bunt, learned to move runners along, and always played great defense. And to this day, they praise Lorenzo Bundy. I mean, I could sit here and give you an hour on Lorenzo Bundy, but suffice it to say, he's affected how many thousands of baseball lives? Not hundreds. How many thousands over his – he's 40-plus years, 45 years, almost 50 in the game. He's a grinder. No doubt about it. You, you have a chapter on Ron Swoboda, and one of the quotes that My you have, man. You have, one of the quotes you have in your book, he said, I made a catch that changed the game, changed that series, and changed my life. He said, everyone who plays needs to have a play that's a highlight reel. Ten seconds of highlight reel fame. That's Absolutely. It. And here's Ron, comes out of high school in Baltimore, had a couple of crackpot uncles that were alcoholics who worked in a morgue. Uh, so that sort of gets you started on where Swoboda is in his life. But one of my dearest friends in life, not just in baseball, played on that 1969 World's Champion Mets team. And the stories he tells in this book we've written mm-hmm. about his 
crossing paths with his manager, the legendary Casey Stingle, <laughs> I, I, are just worth the price of the book itself. Swoboda himself is a raconteur. Uh, he's a published author. He is a humongous art fan. Uh, he can't tell the difference between some of those real out there artists. He said he told me about one particular painter. He said the the, the paint just drizzles. He said something's going on there. Something. I just don't know what that thing is. Wow. I mean, so, but but he can talk politics with you. He took me on a tour, and it's in the book, a tour of the Metairie Cemetery in New Orleans. And if you're in New Orleans, you got to tour it because there's, there's so many stories about how you link them together, and it's how New Orleans grew up from 1700s to now. It's really amazing. It's a great story. Great story. You talk about a family. In your book, Mm -hmm. the Hairston family. Yes. Three generations, five major league players, four minor league players, and an unbelievable legacy. Tell me about the Hairstons. Sam Hairston was born in the 20s, wanted to play baseball more than anything, left high school to work for a foundry in Birmingham, got on one one of their industrial league teams, then found himself signed by the Negro Leagues. And 10, 12 years in the Negro Leagues, he gets signed by the Chicago White Sox, makes it to the big leagues. But I don't think God ever put a more appreciative black man on a team than Sam Hairston Sr. And he passed that down to his sons and grandsons. And the beautiful thing about this, there are three teenage great-grandsons that may well make it into professional baseball. So you'd have the first four-generation team, and their story in this book, to me, I really want to write the family story because of all that Sam went through, the Jim Crow South stuff, the Negro League people went through, and it is a compelling story. But it's a story of ultimate humility. Jerry Hairston Sr. says, I have to tell you, my dad showed me so much of who he was in the clubhouses in the minor leagues before he made the major leagues. And he said it was like this, son, we're no different than anybody else. We just play a game for our livelihood. And we need to thank God for that. And we need to thank God and be humility ridden every day of our lives. We're no different than anybody else. We're no different than our next-door neighbors who are going to work with a lunch pail every day. No different at all. What a way to raise your kids, huh? Unbelievable. 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 Well, there's one more question I want to ask you because okay. I know you got to go to work. Yeah, well, it, you've called what I do work. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> well, you know what Bob Shepard always said, yes. the legendary PA announcer for the Yankees. Yeah. He says, I never go to work. I always go to a game. Well, that's hard to refute what I do. Isn't that a great quote? <laughs> that's a great quote. I love it. And he meant it, too. You have a you have a chapter in your book, maybe even more than one chapter, that I find simply remarkable. And we could do an entire podcast on this. And you call it combat. Wow. Okay, this comes from some personal experience. Having been in the insurrection in Haiti when they overthrew the president in the 90s, and I got shot at out jogging one morning. I mean, to say nothing of the Gulf War and all the run-up and run-down from that, 
covering police news in Houston in my 20s in the days it was the old west and I ended, ended up in hospitals five different times in six months being injured covering police news so there's a lot of trauma involved but when you talk about we sort of jump into this subject in this book talking about coaches in football and baseball who say it's war men we're going to do this and that and the other and my buddy bill mercer the 96 year old original voice of the rangers was 17 years old piloting uh landing craft in the pacific theater and he said hell no it's not this is not war baseball and football mm-hmm. I tell you about war, and he, mm-hmm. he goes on into this diatribe about it. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. so I picked – I had about there, – there are several names mentioned, and there's two we focused on. Hank Bauer, who was a longtime third and fourth outfielder for the Yankees and then went on to manage the Baltimore Orioles to their first world championship. And Bobby Jones, mm-hmm. who managed here in Round Rock, he came off the minor league fields, taken to Vietnam – oddly as an artillery uh, caller and some of the stories he tells in this book are crazy bauer's stories are bauer played years in the major leagues with shrapnel in both calves and in his back i mean that's a grinder bobby jones stories are riveting but i didn't know hank bauer i talked to a bunch of people about him i know bobby jones know him well and he absolutely, like I, appreciate this game so much more because we went through things like that and, and came through them alive and are blessed by the man upstairs to still be doing it. And that's the reason we put that in there. It just made all the sense in the world. And, and there's so many baseball players died in World Wars, and there's a couple of riveting just epithets in about a, a, a major league player who was uh, crashing on shore. He, he was loaded down with radio equipment and he was ex major league or was a major current major league player and got his face shot off and it ultimately caught chest wounds and killed him. But what a hero, what a hero there. He was giving up his baseball career to come fight for his country. That's in this day and age. That shows so much more courage than we tend to see this the, in sure. this day and age. That's right. That's a grinder. Yeah. That's no a question. grinder. No question. Well, Mike Caps, you are a grinder, too, my friend. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, John. You know that. 3,000-plus games for the Round Rock Express and a new book coming out called Grinders. Grinders, Baseball's Intrepid Infantry. Right now, before July, you can get it uh, on Amazon. Just go to Amazon and, and do the keyword grinders, and you can pre-order it. And, and that's that's kind of a good way to get it. And chase me down here at Dell Diamond. I'll sign it for you. There you go. <laughs> well, Mike Caps, thanks for sharing about your life at the ballpark. Always good to see you, my friend. John, anytime. I'm here, man. Thank you. Tune in each week for a new episode. I hope you'll subscribe and share with your friends. Life at the Ballpark is produced by Jim Governale. Project manager is Paul Adams. I'm John Frost, sharing stories of life at the ballpark.